0: We're headed back to the classroom with Dr. Brown as he digs deeper into the Ten Commandments and discovers the foundation of our faith. The School of Faith is now in session. This is Hearing is Believing. And so what we're doing today is we're looking at the truths that have nurtured the church for over a thousand years. We're looking today at truths that have nurtured the church for over a thousand years. And these truths that we're going to uncover over this series is really the bedrock or are the bedrock of our confession. And if you think about where we are in our society, our society is ravaged by so many different ideologies and thoughts, identity politics has come to Christianity, cancel culture has come to Christianity, critical race theory has come to Christianity, all of these pressing issues before us. And realistically, there are more issues that are coming. And these issues that are coming before us, they really require the best Christian thinking. And the temptation for us, even the temptation to go right into those issues and talk about how the gospel influences those things. But I think that what we need to do is before we go to those issues, we need to learn why they're issues in the first place. And so as we'll learn, Christian confession is not a free for all. We don't wanna bend scripture to our current moment. We want our current moment to bow to scripture. And so, prayerfully, what we'll do during this series is we will not only nurture us, this series will not only nurture us, but it will equip us as we seek to both know God and to live for God. And so we begin our series this morning looking at the Ten Commandments. And here's what I don't want us to do either. I don't want us to simply rush into the Ten Commandments. Because if we just simply come to the Ten Commandments, then we're going to miss the story that God's telling as He gives us these Ten Commandments. If we just simply rush right into the Ten Commandments, we'll miss the context, how they fit into the larger story that God is telling. And you know what the story that God is telling? It's a story of redemption. And so let's do this. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. And let's see how Israel got to the mountain. Let's. Look at Exodus 19. I've entitled this sermon this morning, Arrival at the Mountain. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'll say a prayer, and then we'll jump into our uh, exposition. Hear the word of our God. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported these words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sound of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up on the mountain, to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord. Look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord be break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. Do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you for this glorious text. Help us, Lord, to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we arrived to the Exodus, but we've already learned the goal of the Exodus. The goal of the Exodus has been spelled out for us in Exodus chapter 15, verses 16 through 17. If you were to go back and look at that, you would learn that, the, that God intends to pass by the people that He has purchased God is going to bring them in and plant them on His mountain. The place, the Bible says, which the Lord has made for His abode, the sanctuary which is the Lord's. And the Lord's hand has established. And then we learn this from Exodus 15, verse 17. The Lord will reign forever. So there's this expectation that they are Everything that's come before, the goal of the Exodus, and by the way, that word literally means to bring out. They're bringing the people out from Egypt to enjoy the providence and the uh, providential blessings of God. The goal of the Exodus is so that they can meet God on the mountain, and the mountain, Sinai, is ominous. It's the place where the people meet with God, their Redeemer. It's the place that He chooses to meet with them. So it's not just them meeting with God, it's God meeting with them. Remember who it is that they're going to meet. Don't miss this. They're going to meet the God who created the heavens and the earth, as Genesis tells us. They're going to meet the God who created the sea and all the living things in the sea and place mankind, humanity, as the pinnacle of His creation. This is the same God who gave that command, remember, to the first couple, a command to not eat the fruit. And if they eat the fruit, they would die. This is the God whose words never fail. This is the God who had to cast the the crown of His creation out of His presence, out of the garden. But if we read closely, Genesis chapter 3, God gets very quickly to His plan to redeem. He didn't cast them out without first promising that He's going to bring a redemption. This is the same God, the Bible tells us, who flooded the earth, who called Abraham, who provided a child from Sarah's dead womb. This is the God who blesses the works of His children's hand. And this is the God, Exodus tells us, when He hears the cries of His people, He sends a Redeemer. So there's an invitation to come and meet God. Do you remember, for those of you who maybe seen the Prince of Egypt or maybe read the story in the Exodus, you remember what Moses' message to Pharaoh was? Let my people go so that they can go a 3 days journey and worship God on the mountain. And so here we have it. Everything that's happened before, we finally see that they have arrived at that three days journey. And there is God on the mountain, and they are making preparations to meet with God. And we come this morning to this text. It's the center of the Pentateuch, the center of the Pentateuch. Penta means five, tuke means law. And so we have the, te- the, uh, the five books of Moses. We have the center of the first five books of Moses is Mount Sinai. 59 chapters, uh, excuse me, 68 chapters come before Sinai and 59 chapters follow Sinai. And so this is the center of the first five books of Moses. And there's something that we need to learn from this mountaintop experience. So, what I want to do today is I want to walk through the text that prepares us for the ten words of God. Walk through this text that prepares us for the Ten Commandments, and I want us to learn three truths together. And hopefully you've had a chance to pick up your notebook that has uh, an outline for you, at least a place where you can write in. It doesn't have an outline. I don't provide that for you. But anyway, it, it at least gives you an outline so that you can follow along. And so Exodus chapter 19, I want to give you three truths. Number one, and I hope you write this down, God redeems us for himself. So as we begin to think about the law, I don't know how you approach the Old Testament. I really don't. Hopefully you approach it as a Christian and not as a Jew or not as somebody that doesn't believe. Hopefully you approach the Old Testament as a believer. We can't read the Old Testament except through eyes of, what, through eyes of the cross, And so when we approach the law, these ten words, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, we approach it the right way. The Bible calls us to approach it with redemption. And there's this story that precedes the giving of the law, this story that that we just read together. And the story that precedes the giving of the law begins in Exodus chapter 1. And that story is a story of redemption, the Exodus. The Exodus is the paramount act of salvation in the Old Testament. Here is this God who hears the cry of His people, and He saves them. With an outstretched arm, He saves them. He demonstrates that He is mighty and magnificent. And His demonstration is not only a demonstration of His power to His people, but it's a reminder to us of just how far He'll go to save us. God says, look at verse 4 through 6 of 19, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You see that? This is how He starts, beginning Exodus chapter 20. You yourselves see. In other words, uh, I bore you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, you see that? Don't miss that. Here's what I've done. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people's. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to my people Israel. And so we learn this. God saves and he does it in an effortless way. Look at what it says. It says that I bore you on eagles' wings, God says. It was nothing for me. And what seems like a great length to us is nothing to God. You remember those plagues of Egypt, right? The water into blood, the frogs, the lice, the livestock, the pestilence, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and then the death of the firstborn. And God says, That was nothing for me. That was nothing. And realistically, you and I, if we're reading the Bible, we agree that that was nothing for God. If He can speak and the world comes into existence, a little lice is nothing for God. A little ball is nothing for God. A little pestilence, that's nothing for God. But it's all so that he can demonstrate to his people that he is the Lord and there is no other. But it's not just so he can demonstrate to his own people. It's so that he can demonstrate to Pharaoh that there is only one God in the land. And his name is Jehovah. And only he has the power to save. And in that passage, we see the very heartbeat of God, the heartbeat of Scripture. God desires to have a people as His prized possession. And then look at the Bible. Some of you say, what do you mean uh, He he sees to have? It? Us as his prized possession. In our text this morning, what does he do? He keeps his purpose before us. It's a purpose that he set out before the foundation of the world. God says he is going to have a people who worship and obey him. And I don't know about you, but I want to be amongst that number. I want to be amongst those people that worship and obey God. God is so committed to his purpose, he's so committed to. Having a people that worship and obey him, that he's not going to let anything stop him from seeing that purpose through. He's not going to let anything stop him, even the stubbornness and rebellion of his own people. He can break through all of that just so that he can demonstrate how much he loves us. He calls a people out of all the other people in the world to himself. Look at what he says here in this verse 4. You yourselves see what I did, how I bore you on eagle's wings. I saved you from the Egyptians. Now look at what he says here in verse 5. If you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be, look at this, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. And then look at what he says. For all the earth is mine. So in other words, God's prerogative, for whatever reason, in some mysterious way, God chose out of all the people in the world, He chose one people to make His ways known. This is the God who is amazing. This is the God who's great. This is the God who created the world and everything in it. And He chose out of all the people, one people, to redeem the world. Of all the people, why the Jews? Of all the people, why them? And this is a mysterious way of God, but He reminds us that the earth is the Lord's. And the real marvel that I want to put before you this morning should be this, that the real marvel of Scripture is not that it's one people, not that there's one way, but the real marvel is why is there any way? Why is there any people? Wouldn't it be easier if God simply started over and just, or maybe somewhere else, did something new at a different time. And there's some that teach that. There's some that teach that God is distant. There's some that teach that God is dead. There's some that teach that He is unmoved, that He's unconcerned. God has left the building. But Exodus tells us a different story. It tells us a better story. It tells us a story of the always, never failing love and salvation of God. Let me take you back. Let's go back here. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 3. I want you to see this. Go back to Exodus chapter 2 and look at verse 23. And then we're going to look at chapter 3 and verse 7. This is one of my favorite sections in all the story of the Exodus. Look at this. Chapter 2 and verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Now look at verse 24. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now, look at verse 25. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, flip on ahead to chapter 3 and look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and all the other mosquito bites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. Don't miss this. Whenever the Bible repeats something, it's not just wasting ink. Ink was expensive back then. God wants us to know something. Look at this. The cry of the people, verse 9, has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of God, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring out the children of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. Look at this. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. There's some that teach that God is unconcerned. Maybe you're here this morning and you need this reminder. This God that you serve, He is in the redeeming business. Some of you perhaps have been praying for your child. It's Mother's Day. Any mothers out there who have wayward children? You've been praying for that child. The story of the exodus tells us that God is a God of redeeming. He's a God of redeeming love. He is a God of redemption. He hears, He sees, He knows, He remembers. And the story of the Exodus, the hope of the Bible that I want to put before you this morning is that He redeems us for Himself not so that we can have a better life, although we get that, not so that we can live, although we get that, but the main motivator that God redeems us for is for Himself. God wants you all to Himself, and that's not—that's a great thing, because this is a good God. This is an omnibenevolent God. His benevolence knows no boundaries. This is a God who loves you with a limitless love. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you all to himself. And by saving us, he demonstrates his desire. He saves us so that we, can look at the text, look at the Bible, Exodus 19, so that we can be his treasured possession. My mama always told me that I was her treasured possession. Some say that that's one of the reasons why I am the way that I am. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. But this is what I want to tell you. God looks at you through His Son, Jesus Christ, and says, that one, him, her, I see all of the warts, all of the blemishes, all of these things. Actually, no, I don't. They're forgiven. They're forgotten. That one, he's my prized possession. And that's what the Exodus tells us. Did God know that they weren't going to be able to come up the mountain? Sure, he did. Did God know that the, that the wilderness experience of wandering 40, that was before them? Did, sure He did. But He holds out this promise. He holds out this hope before them. Yeah, they're going to go out and make a mess of things. Yeah, this generation is not going to be able to enter the promised land because of their rebellion. But you know what? God still holds the promise before them, and it's His desire to redeem. Number two this morning, God invites us to walk with Him. Here we see His desire. His desire is not only, so, not only to redeem us, but He redeems us for a purpose, and that purpose is so that we can walk with Him. And we walk with Him. Remember this, He is God. We walk with Him on His terms. There is no other way to walk with God other than the way that He prescribes. After all, What good would it be for you to walk with God on your terms? You know what that would make you? That would make you God. We're not God. Matter of factly, we learn through the Bible that He is the Creator, and we're a creature. We're a creature that He created to be His prized possession. And our actions are always in response to his actions. Don't miss this. Our actions are always in response to his actions. He is who he is. He does what he does, and we respond. And our response is always to his reality. It's always to his reality. It's always to who he is and what he's done. This is always, listen, this is the biblical paradigm, and it's in every page of Scripture. The biblical paradigm is redemption, requirement, reward. Redemption, requirement, reward. Redemption, requirement, reward. And so many of us, if we're honest, we want to skip that middle one. Redemption, requirement, reward. We skip over that requirement. Redemption, You can't get past the reward unless there's a requirement. And why is that? Because God is the one who redeemed us. He's God. He calls us into fellowship. And He says, hey, 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 if you want to walk with me, you got to do it my way. There's no other way. It was Dallas Willard who said this, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Listen to that. Grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Notice what happens. God calls them to prepare to meet Him, and they must take steps in order to prepare to meet Him. they got to wash themselves and not go near a woman, whatever that means, and all these other things. Also that they can meet with God, also that they can meet with God. In other words, what are they supposed to do? Simply this: they 're supposed to listen, they 're supposed to obey, and then they're suppo- and then they live. And, the, and when the time comes, they aren 't ready. Look what happens in verses 16 through 20. God thunders and He lightnings, and then He says, where are they? And then Moses says, well, you, well you, you told them not to come. And God says, no, no, I told them to come, but they had to get ready. Where are they? They're not ready. I love what one commentator says is it's, it's Robert Altar, listen to what he says about this moment when the mountain is quaking, but they're not ready. Listen to what he says. The Sinai encounter is imagined as the decisive moment in human history. When the celestial and the terrestrial realms are brought together into panoramic engagement, and as God comes down on the mountain, every sort of natural firework is let loose so that trembling seizes not only the people, but the mountain itself. God is holy, He is incomparable, He is incomprehensible. He is terribly lovely, and this God who is incomprehensible, who is incomparable, this God who's full of love, He's ready to redeem you. He's ready to come down to where you are because He realizes that you can't get to where He is, and He's calling you into eternal relationship with Him. This God on the mountain, listen, calls you to obey, but like them on that day, you cannot approach Mount Sinai apart from first coming to another mountain, a mountain outside of a city where God himself bears the wrath of his own broken commandments given at Sinai, that mountain is a place called Golgotha, another hill called Mount Calvary. You see, the Israelites on this day, they were not ready to be a kingdom of priests. And so we're going to come to Exodus 20. And instead of being a—listen to this language. Listen closely. The details are in the text. Don't miss this. They become a kingdom not of priests, but a kingdom with priests. There's a big difference between you yourself being a priest and then having to go to a priest. They become a kingdom not of priests, but a kingdom with priest. The law would soon, as we're going to see in Exodus 20, it's going to soon be written in stone. But one day, what is written in stone is going to be written on our hearts. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Look at this. Let me show this to you. God was testing them. Look at verse 20 of Exodus chapter 20. So twenty twenty, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him might be before you, that you may not sin. God was testing them. And here's the truth. They failed. Because they saw the flashing, they saw the thunder, they saw the lightning, and they said, you know what, this guy terrifies us. Moses, why don't you go talk to him? for us. As we're going to find out, the greatest obstacle for the people of God to enjoy the benefits of God is not Egypt. Their greatest threat to entering the blessings and rest of God is Mount Sinai. You see, it's one thing to get the people out of Israel. Excuse me. It's one thing to get the people of Israel out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of the people. God has to take, and this is all through the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and the, and the 12 prophets. God is going to remove the heart of stone that can't obey. And one day he's going to give them hearts of flesh. They need God, number three, to cause them to obey. And one day, God is going to do just that. Number three this morning, God is going to cause us to walk with Him. Look at the text. I want you to see this. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. There are clues in this text that we read this morning that give away the rest of the story. Did you catch the repetition? Did you hear it? Did you hear the clues in the text that foreshadow something greater and grander that's coming? Look at this. Look at the Bible. Look at this. The third day. The third day. The third day. All of that is a foreshadowing of a salvation that's going to come the third day the third day after one who was perfectly obedient to the Ten Commandments was crucified, who undertook the penalty that was broken. And then what happened on the third day? He rose from the dead. And then what else? Some of you say, you're just reading into this. No, no. I'm asking you to understand the Bible the way God intends. What does Paul say about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15? He was crucified on the third day according to the Scriptures. What are the Scriptures? It's the Old Testament. The third day is repeated for us so that we will look at the text and we will remember through our eyes of faith, through our our cruciform way of interpreting the text, we will remember what happened on the third day. And look at this. Let me show you. Let me show you. Look at verse 1. And two, look at what it says in chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out to the land of Egypt, on that day, you hear the repetition on the third new moon after this, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Why so specific? What on earth is that about? They met God in the wilderness. God came to them in a fire. Listen to me. Fifty days after the salvation event. Fifty days after they left Egypt. Fifty days. Or on the day of Pentecost. After three days, after the resurrection of Jesus, who perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments, on the 50th day after that, what happened? God sent the Spirit. And how did the Spirit come? He came in fire. And why did He come? He came to take the law which was written in tablets of stone. He came to write His perfect law of liberty on the hearts of flesh. Through the Holy Spirit, God put what is external and unattainable not only in our reach but within us. And He did it through the Holy Spirit, all from Exodus chapter 19. He redeems us for Himself. He invites us to walk with Him, and then He does what we cannot do. Look at this God of grace. He says, you can't obey And so I'm going to cause you to obey. And God does this through His Son, Jesus, who came and climbed the mountain that we could not climb. He joined Himself to us so that we could be with Him for forever. And here's the charge that I leave you with this morning. Don't you dare come to the mountain of Exodus 19 and 20 on your own. If you do, you'll be afraid. You'll be terrified. Instead, this morning, cling to the cross take what he offers. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, you come to me. I've already come to you. I've already demonstrated my love for you. I've already saved you and called you to myself. Come to me. And when you come to me, You who are weary and heavy laden, you will find rest for your souls. Isn't this what John says? John says in his epistle, the commandments of God are not burdensome. And the reason that they're not is because of what happened after the third day, on the 50th day when God came in fire to dwell in his people. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for the mountain. Thank you that we get to arrive at this mountain. And thank you that this mountain tells us a story filled with grace. Father, it's my prayer for those who are here today who have been trying and trying and trying But they fail, and they fail, and they fail, Lord, today. May today be the day where they come to Jesus, who has obeyed you perfectly. And through coming to this Jesus, they will find acceptance. Even though they failed you a thousand times, He will accept them as they are and walk beside them as He walks within them as he takes them to the holy habitation of God. But they have to come. So, Father, it's my prayer to you today on their behalf. Cause them to come, overcome their resistance, and save them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown. Senior pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.